What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bedeira. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards. Like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where Anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., we dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there, everyone, and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says the power of love is a curious thing. I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. I'm Joe McCormick. <laughs> what? What was the O? Oh, no. It's, it's, okay, we're going back to the future. Yeah, Alrighty. we are going back to the future. Going to go back in time. Yes, we are. But we're not talking about time machines today. No. That will be a future podcast. Yes. yes. Or maybe a past one. <gasps> oh. But no, today we're going to talk about <laughs> flying cars. I was trying to render the future perfect tense of mind blown. <laughs> mind will be blown. Mind, mind will have been. Will have been blown. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Right. Okay. Flying cars. The ultimate futurism cliche. Yeah. Right up, right up many, there with jetpacks. Jetpacks and flying cars. Articles, magazine covers, you know, YouTube videos. Where's my flying car? I thought it'd be the future. Where? When am I going to get my flying car? Yeah. Well, today we're finally going to talk about it. So let's talk a little bit about first of all the the whole science fiction angle of this. I mean, clearly, like when when I say when you hear the term flying car, 
what is it that you think of? Like what's what's the the thing that pops into your head? Uh Blade Runner. Blade Runner? Yeah. Uh, a combination of like the Jetsons and the Fifth Element, which probably explains a lot about me. See, I always think of Back to the Future, but yeah. I, but I totally, I, I've seen all the other what? ones you've mentioned, and all of those also are somewhere in there. I mean, I love the design of Blade Runner, and I love how how grungy the flying cars are in Fifth Element. Yeah, they're so grungy in all these movies. You wonder like why. Why hasn't haven't people just been completely disgusted by the idea well, of I mean, flying cars? The, the idea of it is so novel, or at least you would think it's novel. As it turns out, the idea of a flying car is pretty old, but we'll get into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea is novel enough in the sense that we don't have flying cars everywhere that I think people are still fascinated by it. But they love this idea of a future where flying cars are not only a reality, they've been around long enough to become mundane. Yeah, and... I mean, it seems so easy. Just if you don't know anything, <laughs> sure. If you yeah. don't, it, it just you just look at it. It's like yeah, we've had airplanes and cars for a hundred years. To be fair, yeah. particle physics seems really easy if you don't know anything. <laughs> divorced from reality, science is fun. Um, well, science is fun anyway. And, and also, I mean that I, I don't think that anyone who drives has ever not had many moments in a day where they're just sitting in traffic and it's terrible. And you, you just wish that you could just rise up on jets and just fly right over the mm-hmm. rest of, the rest of the gridlock. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, or, that's a captivating thing. Well, especially if you live someplace like Atlanta or yeah. Los Angeles, someplace that is known for terrible traffic and, and you get into that, you know, it's, it's a Thursday and it's the fourth straight day in a row when you cannot, you can see the exit that you need to take mm-hmm. and you know it's going to be another hour before you can you actually walk get there. there faster. Yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, so in those days, you can easily imagine a a world where, um, you know, a, a flying car would be welcomed with great acclaim by the entire populace because it would, at least in theory, mean you would no longer be stuck sure. on this road, stuck behind everybody else. And, and like we mentioned, you know, pe- people have thought that this was a pretty cool thing for an extremely long time. Right. Um, I think the concept came up really just after the invention of both – Cars and also airplanes. Yeah, yeah. In fact, uh, I mean, no, no less of an authority than Henry Ford commented on this, right? Yeah, in 1940, he said, "Quote: Mark my words, a combination airplane and motor car is coming. You may smile, but it will come." Yeah. So if you look at the history of of cars and you look at the history of airplanes and then you look at the history of people trying to make cars, what are airplanes? Uh, it turns out Henry Ford was kind of behind the times, actually. So yeah. you got to go all the way back. So 1885 is really when you get the uh, you get Carl Friedrich Benz, who created the first gasoline-powered automobile, uh, and then you jump ahead to 1903, and that's when the Wright brothers had their famous flight, which, depending upon which authority you're looking at, was the first heavier-than-air aircraft that was able to to fly. The first fixed wing. wing control or wait fixed wing powered heavier than air aircraft as opposed yeah. to say a balloon or something there are like a lines. million qualifiers yeah on that. yeah and even yeah. and even then you have people saying uh actually but anyway <laughs> 1903 was widely recognized as the first airplane flight well you don't don't have to wait until 1917 so just a little over a decade later when uh, glenn curtis had suggested creating something he called the curtis autoplane which would have been more or less a plane that you could drive around. And in fact, a lot of the early flying cars, uh, 
concepts were this level, right? This e- model. Even even these days, I mean, we do have technically flying cars, but all of them are really more drivable planes. Yeah, they're really yeah. airplanes that have detachable elements to them, and then you drive the the vehicle out to an airstrip attach whatever those elements are usually it's wings and a propeller and maybe some other uh, elements as well and then you you take off as if it were just a a regular light aircraft right mm-hmm. so uh you know a lot of the early ones uh, Robert uh, Edison Fulton Jr created one a year later uh, uh consolidated Volte developed the Convair car which was a two-door sedan with detachable airplane unit uh, that you could convert into a plane um these were all Vehicles that were kind of built in the prototype stage never went into actual manufacture uh, due to various problems, either financial or technological. So, for example, uh, Robert Edison Fulton couldn't get um, funding, so could never really go into production, whereas the Convair car crashed on its third te- test flight, and that pretty much killed the, uh, the, the project because, yeah. yeah, no no one wanted to risk the money in it. And, uh, you know, risk is a big thing. In 1965, you have Paul Mahler who introduces the XM2, which was the first prototype of his sky car concept, which is like, it reads like a comedy of errors if you go through the whole ordeal, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is one where <laughs> the idea was pretty cool. It was supposed to be a, a vertical takeoff and landing vehicle, which is going to be something we'll talk about a little bit later, too. That It'll be ready in time for Woodstock, you know? <laughs> But the idea was that it was going to be this thing that could take off from anywhere and land practically anywhere with enough clearance, obviously, but that you wouldn't have to go to like an airstrip necessarily. And it was going to run on fuel that was similar to uh, airplane fuel. And, uh, you know, it, it was a project that was kicking around even as late as 2003. They had a demonstration of uh, a, a vehicle, but it really just kind of hovered. It didn't fly. And um, by 2009, there still wasn't a flying car to show off. And the company at that point had spent around $100 million in investment capital <laughs> trying to do this and had not created a su- successful car. Over over four decades, yeah. right? Since, yeah. Can I say, honestly, when I look at pictures of this, it looks to me like they were just trying to create something that looked like what you imagine when you think of a flying car. So, in other words, you, you think they were just kind of, like, from the appearance, you look at it and you think, oh, that thing is meant to fly, but then you start to think, wait, how would that actually work? It, it looks like a sci-fi illustration. It does. You know? It does. And uh, eventually, Mueller would go and file for uh, Chapter 11 protection, so bankruptcy protection, but uh, the company itself is still operating, although in a much more limited capacity. So, you know, there were a lot of other attempts to create a flying car uh, that all met with, you know, kind of limited success, if any. Most of them didn't go beyond the prototype stage, or they had very uh, modest flying capabilities. Like, it was more that they had a giant parachute and could uh, use a fan to paraglide as opposed to powered flight the way we would think of like with a propeller or jet engine or something like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are a couple of companies that are still working quite hard to try and bring a true flying car to the market. Uh, There's the Aeromobile V 2.5, which was a propeller driven aircraft that also acts like a car. So again, more in the lines of those early designs where you have the plane that kind of strips down and then becomes a vehicle. Yeah, you have to take it to the airport yes. or something like an airport in order to get in the air. Right. And then there's a Terrafugia that is planning on bringing a car called the Transition to market by 2015. Now, this one, again, 
is another one of those where you would have to take it to an airstrip in order to take off and you would have to have a pilot's license in order to operate it because it a light, a light sport craft license yeah. but yeah, well, and we'll talk more about that in a bit too, but it's not the kind of vehicle that you would, you know, pull out of the garage and then lift off the driveway and blast off into towards your, your workplace, right? Well, um, no, th- I mean, th- that's really the key here. Yeah. And it's something we're going to talk about in a bit, but the problem is uh, so many of these prototypes we've seen so far are, well, you know, it's, it's an airplane and it's a car, but it's not really what people are thinking about when they think about a flying car. That certainly includes VTOL, vertical takeoff and landing. Right. It's something that you can leave from your driveway and go across town. It's got versatility. Like a, a flying car, I think, in the way we think of as, as far as, you know, the science fiction approach goes means that you can, you know, you can go from point A to point B without having to go to an airstrip uh, on either side of it. Uh, that, uh, that anyone would be able to operate it easily because, you know, if you have to go through, uh, you have, if you have to jump through hoops in order to get certification for it, then that's obviously a barrier, uh, that it would eventually be affordable so that the average person could own it. I mean, we look at these science fiction futures and it, everyone's got a flying car. No one's driving a vehicle that is on the ground. So therefore, in that world, a flying car has to be around the same level of affordability as your personal vehicles are today. Mm-hmm. And, and furthermore, something that not only flies that well, but also drives as fast as you could possibly want it to drive. Right, um, right. So it's not like, it's not like, well, on the ground, it's got a top speed of 30 miles per hour. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is the case of lots of these uh, practical examples that we've been talking about mm-hmm. that are coming out or in prototype stage anyway these days. Right. Uh, and the extremely simple uh, requirement of it just needs to fit the normal dimensions of a car, right? Right, I mean, garage size. can't have wings or, or propellers or something poking out that's going to knock other cars' windows off as it passes them on the street. Or you can't park it anywhere. Right, right. Yeah, right. yeah so Terrafugia is working on, well, at least they have a, a, a concept. It's not even a prototype. It's a concept vehicle called TFX. So this hasn't gone any further than the design, the initial design phase as far as I am able to determine. No, but not at all. If there's any player in the game right now, it's probably them. Yeah. If if we're talking about a vehicle that the average consumer could use and, and it's because the TFX answers a lot of the questions or at least is going to assuming that it, it comes out the way the concept is designed, it'll answer a lot of these challenges we're bringing up right now. Assuming that everything works. Oh, and a lot of right. assumptions. Huh. Right. Yeah, well, I mean, they're, they're talking about that vertical takeoff and landing, um, and they're talking about a lot of automation, which is another thing, which is basically the second element that the three of us think is pretty important in getting this entire flying car thing off the ground. I yes. knew it. Sorry. I, knew it. I didn't mean to. I tried not I to. Think it's, I, I do think it's uh, the kind of thing that will be required in order for this idea to get any altitude. I mean, for this thing to launch, <laughs> it's going to have to be automated. Okay, let, let's break it down. All right, let's yeah. break it. What are the major concerns with a flying car? Okay. What are they going to? Ha- what, what are the challenges they're going to have to answer before it is at all feasible for people like you and me? So here's one concern, Joe. You know, it takes a lot of energy to maintain flight, right? It's not like I mean, we can look to nature and see that this is the case. That it's not something that's a low energy kind of activity, even if you have the biological uh, design, for lack of a better word, to fly. Well, yeah, I mean, it's hard, it, 
takes more energy to jump than to take a step. So <laughs> in order to get a vehicle into the air, it's going to require a great deal of energy, which in turn means you have to get that energy from someplace. So if it's a, a vehicle that's running on fuel, there are fuel uh considerations you have to you have to worry about yeah. how much fuel do you need to actually get the power that you're that's necessary to get into flight and operate safely right and and the amount of fuel okay let's let's take for example the the terrafugia transition and like a camry okay you're you're talking for for the transition that that light sport craft that they're thinking of releasing mm-hmm. uh like like under a thousand pounds and a 23 gallon tank a camry weighs like three thousand pounds and only has a 17 gallon tank that's the kind of kind of just difference in raw gas power that you're talking about right mm-hmm. right yeah it's i mean that's you know, it's it's a big concern, and so along with just fuel consumption, uh, that adds into a couple of other things you have to worry about, like emissions. What what kind of fuel are you burning? What sort of emissions are coming out of this car? You don't want it to end up uh, being a, a really uh, high pollution style mode of transportation because that's sure. something that we don't want. Yeah, right? and and also the expense of that kind of fuel. I mean, these days a lot of light sport craft can use auto gas uh, rather than airplane gas. But mm-hmm. um, but it's I mean, that's not really uh, more and more we're going like maybe electric engines are the way to go because this entire fossil fuel thing is an issue. Now, there are some designs that have proposed using a hybrid approach where yeah. you have some fuel for anything that requires a lot of energy, specifically taking off and landing. Those uh, tend to require a lot of energy to do safely. But then once you reach some form of, of cruising altitude and speed, switching over to electric motors, which would uh, allow you to conserve fuel that way and also cut down on emissions, depending upon, of course, where you get your electricity. Because as we all know, it's not just a closed system where you know all the electricity magically comes from a place where pollution is just a... A bad, it's a bad unicorn dream. giggles. Yes. Yeah. I, I think we should also think about the concerns that are involved specifically in VTOL and vertical sure. takeoff and landing. Um, so one of the first things is simply safety. Yeah. Uh, turns out, uh, vertical takeoff and landing is not easy, not just from like a fuel consumption standpoint, but it's difficult to do in terms of maneuvering of the aircraft. Right. Uh, and it has caused a lot of safety problems in the past. The, the Harrier jump jet. So that was a vertical takeoff and landing jet that was powered uh, by a vectored thrust turbofan engine. So right. basically it sucked air through the body of the airplane and could point it downwards to lift itself up vertically. But the thing is, um, Harrier jump jets, while they could take off vertically, that was not ideal. Right. It was avoided under all circumstances except when it was absolutely necessary. Super emergency. I mean, what that sounds like to me is that you're you're lighting a fire directly underneath yourself and really hoping that the liftoff created from it is going to get you out of the way of the fire. <laughs> you're yeah, sort of. I mean, it's um so it's difficult to do. You you could take off from like an aircraft carrier that way or something right. like that. Well, I mean, the whole concept the, was so that uh, a jet would be able to take off or land anywhere in the sense yeah. that in case of nuclear war, which would end up, you know, targeting military installations. Exactly. Yeah, you could you could keep these things in a park somewhere yeah. or whatever. You know, it wouldn't it wouldn't have to be. But uh, it, but as it turned out, it was really hard to do. Yeah. Um. And so that was considered an accident prone aircraft. There were a lot of incidents uh, involving the Harrier family, and it, it was basically a dangerous aircraft. There, there's another one 
uh, more recent, the Bell V22 Osprey. Which also has a reputation for being unsafe. Yeah, it has a very controversial safety record. So it had an early test period. Uh, between 1991 and 2000, there were four Osprey crashes, uh, and together those killed a total of 30 people. Yeah. And uh, yeah. so the... The airplane has been redesigned. And so, oh, sorry, let me explain. The Osprey is a tilt-o-rotor. Right. So that's a different method of vertical takeoff and landing. What what that is, is you imagine like a prop plane that has two propellers out on the wings. Now, a normal plane, those would just be forward-facing to generate forward thrust. thrust and that, yeah. that would lift a plane once you get enough velocity on a runway. Right. But the way a V-22 Osprey works is they start off pointing up. Yeah, like the, helicopter the wings blades. themselves tilt up so that yeah. the propellers are facing like helicopter rotors. Uh, yeah, so it uses that to lift up off the ground, and then it can convert into horizontal plane flight as it's coming into the air. Okay, right. um, so so like the like the shield helicarrier. Yeah, uh, so there it, it did get a redesign, and it has at least on paper, been safer since then, but I know there's still controversy <laughs> well, there over, was a, like, how these accidents are classified. There was like, also a scandal about uh, officers, military officers, um, asking for maintenance records to yeah. be falsified so that it would give the Osprey a more favorable maintenance record and make it look less uh, prone yeah. for uh, accidents and mistakes. Yeah, essentially what I've read is that some people allege that things that may have been problems with the airplane have been classified as pilot errors. Um, to be, but, to, but we we don't know. I mean, so. to be fair, anything that's involved with you know a one or two rotor aircraft is incredibly challenging to fly. I mean, helicopters, you'll, you'll hear pilots who have flown both uh, airplanes and helicopters talk about how helicopters are really tricky. Like it's it's not something that's easy to pick up, even if you're an accomplished pilot with a with an airplane. And so, uh, one way that these flying cars, if they are ever made, could maybe get around that is by having multiple rotors to add more stability. You know, with a two rotor system, it's it's definitely less stable. You see some of the um, drones uh, and. Uh, and even remote controlled uh, drones out there that are for consumer use have between four and eight rotors to provide that kind of level of stability. Right, definitely. Uh, yeah, another concern with the VTOL technology is, uh, as we were just talking about, fuel consumption that mm-hmm. uh, uses more fuel than a regular takeoff. And that's one of the reasons, say, like a Harrier, when it wanted to take off, even though it was capable of vertical takeoff, they would do uh, a short runway takeoff sometimes. Just because that used less fuel. Wow. And then uh, not only that, but it's it tends to be really noisy. Yeah. Uh, the, well, this kind all of aircraft tend to be really noisy. Right. And so that's a big problem. Imagine you're trying to say, well, okay, I want to pull out into my driveway on the way to work in the morning and take off. <laughs> so if, if you ever heard a helicopter take off or an airplane, you know, up close – that's what your neighbor next door is going to be hearing when you do this. Now, hopefully they can, because it's a smaller aircraft, it'll probably be less loud than, you know, like a Boeing taking off or something <laughs> like that. One would hope. Um, but still. So you know, there's always going to be that one guy. Yeah, still, I can't imagine takes that the they're, muffler off of his they're going <laughs> to be able to make it as quiet as just like a car or something. Well, and, and that, and there, you won't. I don't think you'll ever have a time where you'll be able to just take off directly from your driveway. That's exactly right. I, I think that uh, 
the idea that you can do that is just probably not going to happen. Now, you, I, I can imagine we might have vertical takeoff flying cars uh, where you don't have to go to the airport and get runway uh, access, but you will have, say, like a, a launching area. Like a community Desi- launch yeah. kind of like thing. a designated area because mm-hmm. you would you would want to have enough clearance on all sides yeah. so that you're not worried about banging into a house, a building, a yeah. tree, a power line, any of that kind of stuff. Even, uh, even Terra Fugia's kind of uh, optimistic estimate is that it would take a 100 feet or 30 meter diameter yeah, area. so 50 feet on all sides. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that's a pretty standard idea of you need at least that much just for safety and clearance. Yeah. Yeah, so in that case what you would have is a a, a designated spot where your multi-rotor uh, which could be come in the form of tilt rotors. It could be. Yeah. You know, we we haven't even discussed like what form the, this would take, mostly because right. we don't have a lot of examples to point at. Yeah. But there are a lot of T- different proposals. Terrafugia's idea is tilt rotor, yeah. so it's like the V twenty two Osprey. It'll, right. It has blades that point up when you you're picking up, so it's like a helicopter that lifts you off the ground, and then they transition over to provide forward thrust when you're flying. Um, but there are uh, there are other ideas you could use. Like ducted fans, that's one idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's what the Mahler Skycar used. I believe it? so, yeah. Technically, you could also have even a jet engine on one of these things, though I don't imagine that we're going to see that anytime soon. But there are unmanned aerial vehicles that use that kind of approach where they've got uh, either a combination of rotors and jet engine or some of them just have the jet engine because they launch straight from another aircraft. But I doubt we're going to have cars that launch off of, you know, yeah. of another flying vehicle unless unless it happens to have the shield logo on it, in which case that totally makes sense. <laughs> now, one thing you, you mentioned about uh, noise pollution, I this is funny because it would kind of go the opposite of what you were saying about uh, the hybrid fuel use, like, oh, okay, well, the, it'll use uh, fuel for, for takeoff because that's the harder task, mm-hmm. and then it'll use an electric motor to power it during flight. That does make a lot of sense, but also I wonder if you could help fight the uh, the noise problem if you could say, well, is it possible to do electric takeoff? I really Based upon our battery technology right now, I, I'm really skeptical of that. Uh, I don't think you would be able to get enough juice to do it uh, without having a vehicle so heavy that you have defeated the purpose because you had to carry so much battery power on board your car to to be able to handle that. I think you're almost forced to go with the uh, the fuel approach for takeoff and landing for an average vehicle. I mean, I, I suppose you could try but unless you're unless you're doing a aircraft approach type thing like on an airstrip where it is the it requires less energy than vertical takeoff and landing i don't know that you could get the vehicle light enough for you to be able to do that reliably uh that is that is one of the things that terafugia is promising on this uh pie in the sky an electric yeah. vertical yeah. takeoff electric. And i think that's how they're planning to get past the noise pollution <sighs> problem yeah that's tough yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, you, I'm there really are a skeptical. few ways you could approach it. You could approach it by um, focusing on body design. So, like, how light can we get? Yeah, this you'd thing? have to I maybe mean, going could, with like, like, uh, uh, you know, sort of carbon fiber type stuff. Where yeah, you go if with you're as saying light as possible. lightweight and composite materials could maybe like cut this thing into total minimum body weight. I, I can see maybe, maybe, yeah, like you a just really have to make powerful sure, motor. You have to make sure that, that those but materials... But a lot of tech would have to come together in order to make that anywhere near possible. Um, n- not to mention the fact that, I mean, 
we were talking earlier, you know, like I don't trust people driving next to me on Peachtree to, to, <laughs> to not completely kill me with their SUV. I really don't want that guy in an SUV to be 50 feet above me. Well, I was going to say also that besides that, with the composite materials, you have to make sure that they're strong enough to withstand impact. So you have to, they have to still meet all the impact requirements of your basic cars on the road. So you have to make sure that whatever material you make is both light so that you can cut down on the requirements needed to get it into the air and resilient so that if you're in a crash, say, just driving around in regular car mode, that your car doesn't shred into pieces. Yeah. Speaking of crashes and getting on board with what Lauren just said, I am going to go on the record and say, I do not want human beings piloting these things. (laughs) I think these should be autonomous control or not at all. That that is my vote. So you're you're saying that you want computers to control this? I mean, we've already seen like with uh, uh, research that came out of Google and other other facilities, other other like car manufacturers that uh, autonomous cars already drive safer than human Way beings. Safer. Oh yeah, from Google's fleet reports, you remember that their autonomous cars they were releasing the safety record, and it turns out they'd had two accidents. One of the times was when a human was driving the autonomous car. So it was under manual control. The Uh other time, the autonomous car was not at fault and got rear-ended. So, yeah. So, in other words, there's never been better than you at driving. Never been an accident after hundreds and hundreds of hours on the roads in California, no less. (laughs) There have been no accidents with the car under uh, autonomous control. And as it turns out, like they, they've shown that autonomous cars have much better reaction times are able to maintain the proper distance between other vehicles much more effectively than human drivers. So uh, I can see where you're coming from. I, and Lauren, I think you agree with Joe, right? That autonomous control is really, because I mean, from what you were saying, you don't want, you know, Joe SUV to be driving a vehicle directly over your head. But if it's a computer that's really, really good at it, would you be less? I would be less completely terrified. Um, but, you know, my, my terror level, just just based on the technology, I, I'm not sure. I mean, I don't know. I, I can envision a future in which all of this has come together. All right. But I'm coming down against both of you. Yeah? Yeah, no, I'm going to say that I only want flying cars if they can be controlled manually. Uh, that's the only way I want it. I don't want I don't believe flying you. cars. <laughs> I I want I want to be able to have the thrill of scaring the heck out of people by buzzing the Maverick style from Top Gun, but in a in a car. I want to have that experience of feeling like I'm in the Fifth Element, maneuvering this car <laughs> through complex cityscapes and weaving my way through alleyways. And that a robot lady is going to be yelling at you about the points on your license? I want the robot lady. Siri already does that, so that's fine. That's We've already got that part. That part of the future is here. So I okay, want... Okay, but... Well, uh, uh, p- part of this, yes. I think, yeah. is, is, is that I'm assuming... I said the word license, and and the the license that you would have to have for this would be a a strong piloting license that you would have had to have received a, a certain amount of training for. See, now I also like that because it immediately restricts who else gets the flying car. And while I am a man of some means, I would be able to get hold of one of these <laughs> flying cars, and thus it would be a status symbol making me better than everybody else. Oh, okay. And you play video games, so you clearly already know how to pilot things. Uh, yeah. As long as I don't hit the Y button and prematurely bail out of the car, I'm good. You're good to go. Yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. Well, I think you're insane. I, uh, 
<laughs> I would not let you near a flying car, especially since you don't even drive a regular car. No, I would only drive a flying car. <laughs> I I would I would shell out the money to get the license and the car, and then I would laugh my way all the way to, to the, the ground to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and so burning and fiery death. Here, here's um, where I have to come out and say that I too am completely on board with uh, if if this happens, it has to be autonomous. I mean, it's it's you just anecdotally, even without looking into the actual facts and figures, just from a, a person's general experience. There's a good chance that all of you listening to this have either been involved in an accident or you know someone who has been. And it's one of those things that's common enough where, you know, when we talk about autonomous cars, we're talking about trying to take that element out as much as possible and save human lives, which is, you know, that's something that's really important to me, obviously. And I think for flying cars to be a reality so that we have this convenience, but yet we don't have this added risk of people who could be operating a vehicle under the influence of something. Maybe they're just suffering an impairment of some sort, or maybe they're just not a good driver that they are not going to put themselves and other people at risk with something that is potentially extremely dangerous. I have another question. Uh Uh-huh. How are now normally we think of, Oh man, I'm going to get pulled over because I was going five miles per hour over the speed limit. Uh, so annoying. You know, I'm actually glad there are cops out there policing traffic. It, it it can it can make you feel inconvenience, but that's just you being selfish. Who is going to police the vehicles in the air? Well, if they're autonomous, that definitely raises some interesting questions because if there is an error, who's at fault? Yeah. Because if it's an autom- autonomous vehicle and if I hit a if I program in the the Let's say it's GPS coordinates for the landing pad that I want to go to. And as soon as I get onto the launch pad, the car takes over and it's supposed to get me from my point of, of departure to my destination all by itself. If there's some sort of incident along the way, who's at fault? Well, if it's autonomous, I'd say the manufacturer, but if it's, if it's, if it's you piling it, obviously it's you. I know. Guys, but I'm envisioning an incredible future. Without insurance. <laughs> Whoa. Where it's all just manufacturer liability. Yeah. <laughs> this, that thought just made me so gleefully happy. Um, how? Okay. Uh, <laughs> all that insurance cost just gets rolled right into the cost of your vehicle. Yes. Right. No, well, I could totally deal with that. But, but you know, legally speaking, if it is a vehicle that's under manual control, you would have to have some sort of special license, right? Oh, right. Okay. I mean, a- as of right now, in order to fly a light sport aircraft, which is like what the, what the Terrafugia transition would fall into the category of, um, you know, it's, that's going to be a one to two seater plane with a certain limit of size and power and, you don't you don't need a full pilot license in order to do that. Basically, all you need is a driver's license and to show up and prove that you're willing to follow rules. Right. Um, but along with that, you're not allowed to do things like fly at night or just, you know, like jaunt into any old airspace that you want. You have right. to follow very specific regulations. Mm-hmm. Um, once you get a medical certificate, which is the, the full FAA approved doctor checking you out and saying that you're of sound physical and mental health to fly a plane that could potentially wreck a lot of stuff. Um, you know, that, that's within certain classes when you start getting into being able to take more than just one person up in a plane with you and, and fly at night and fly with instrumentation, which 
kind of falls under the category of automatic uh, of automated vehicles. I don't know. So so it's it's a weird conundrum. Like I I can't imagine wanting to allow anyone into an airplane who has not had those kind of checks done and training done. But if we're talking about autonomous vehicles, then I don't know. It's, yeah. So here's a. I, Go ahead. Just, I'm sorry. Well, yeah. let me offer one more qualification. Um, I, I imagine people will need even more certification if we're talking about the actual flying car, the vertical takeoff and landing, because that is, is tricky. Well, um, even if it's fully automated, I could easily see there being another level of licenses uh, required to operate such a vehicle. And uh, and. Part of that is just because, you know, we're talking about an air, another area where technology is beginning to outpace the legal system, which we yeah. see all the time, right? We all, we will see this where engineers and scientists and researchers come up with these amazing technologies that raise interesting questions of legality because the law doesn't apply to that sort of stuff because no one had thought of it back when they wrote the laws. We are going to blow up the sun. <laughs> no, it will be fine. <laughs> There's not a law against it. Um, yeah. So on, on, honestly, even light sport cr- aircraft, which, uh, which covers a whole lot of different experimental craft that are really fun that we should totally do a whole episode on sometime. Um, you know, it's even the laws governing who gets licensed for that are kind of in contention right now mm-hmm, and, and mm-hmm. are sort of being outdated by the number of people who are building their own experimental craft. Yes. Yeah, so it, it might be a while before all these questions are answered. And it may turn out that, you know, sometimes the law comes up with answers that seem counterintuitive or that some that will actually prevent an entire technology from flourishing. So if it ends up that uh, that even with a fully autonomous flying car that you have to have a certain level of pilot's license, clearly that would be a detriment because there would be a lot of companies that would say, well, you've just eliminated a huge potential market for us because not everyone's going to go through that kind of trouble to be able to operate this kind of car. Uh, so why should we even go into that business? We're not even going to bother now. So it could be, you know, it could be a, what some would refer to as a disincentive. Uh, I hate myself right now. <laughs> but anyway, that's the, you know, that's, that's a concern, right? <laughs> that the law itself, that, that even if we were to meet all the technological challenges, there are, there's the chance that the law could end up preventing it from flourishing. Yeah. And, and, and what about that price point? I mean, it, yeah. it's, we've, we've, we've been talking a little bit and during other topics about that, but you know, like if, if a car costs what, like $30,000 if it's new these sure. days. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, that's a decent average price to just pull out of the air. Sure. So um, to speak. then, mm, yeah. uh, and, and your average light sport aircraft might cost say a hundred thousand dollars. Okay. The number, uh, for example, going back to the Terrafugia, uh, they're quoting that as a potential seven two uh, hundred seventy nine thousand dollar car. Oh wait, are you talking about the one? The transition, the, the the likely one, not even the ridiculous one. Yeah, which doesn't have a price attached to it because it's, it's just so kind ridiculous. Of a, it's kind of a daydream at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, so two hundred seventy nine thousand. When you could have bought a vehicle and a light aircraft together for less than that. And essentially had all of the capabilities of the Terrafugia, with the exception of the fact that you you would have to keep your light aircraft probably in a hangar somewhere, or you have to have a special garage built for and it, and drive your other car to that to the air to the airstrip. But right. you still have to have an airstrip to take off with that one. So you know the convenience factor of being able to drive your airplane home <laughs> might not be enough for you to say I'm willing to spend another hundred thousand dollars on that, hundred thousand plus yeah. on that. So yeah, I mean that's that's expensive. I mean you look at that 
VTOL technology and the, the vehicles that have it are not cheap. Now the, the Harrier is a little bit different because that's an older aircraft. I mean, yeah. that, that was developed in the late 50s and they started building them in the 60s. But when you look at the Osprey, uh, that was, that's kind of another one, another reason why it's so, um, uh, controversial in various circles is not just for its safety record, which may or may not be awful. It all depends upon whom you ask, but also because it definitely went over what they had projected it would cost. The original projection for that program was, I think, $2.5 billion, not chump change, but it turns out that the whole thing is going to be closer to $35.6 billion, which is a big Leap, obviously. Every single Osprey costs around, oh, between 60 million and 70 million dollars. Every single one. And there's something like 408 of them that are, have been ordered to date. Yeah, but so, they're all full of gold toilets. <laughs> <laughs> they are not all full of gold toilets. Uh, just but, one gold toilet apiece. Yeah. Your, your, your flying car will not need a gold toilet, so. No, anyone, I, anyone who sees me in my flying car is going to have need of a gold toilet. Or at least a toilet. <laughs> Because that's how I'm going to fly that sucker. Um, no, but the point I'm trying to make here is that this technology, while while you know the the whole idea behind the Osprey was they wanted to have a vehicle that could uh, could land in remote locations without an airstrip mm-hmm. uh, that would be act like a helicopter whenever it was taking off or landing, but like a plane in every other case. And it turned out that achieving that ended up being a lot more complicated and expensive and dangerous than they had first anticipated. So I would imagine that same sort of stuff, even though we've learned a lot since then, that it's still going to be one of those those technologies that, at least for the first few implementations, we're going to see some really expensive vehicles, assuming they ever make it to uh, actual manufacturing lines. Now, Terrafugia, for its part, they're saying that they'll be available by 2015. So it's not that long before we should start seeing these, at least in limited production runs, assuming that everything goes well. So uh, I just wonder what kind of market there is for it. I mean, I like I really don't think that anyone other than people who were going to buy a light sport craft anyway are going to pick these things. I was about up. to say I know some I know some people who have pilots licenses for light aircraft, and uh, they also are of a particular tax bracket where I could see them picking one of these up. Because I grew up in a part of Georgia that had a lot of affluent families. Sure. Wish I had been one of them. No, it's fine. I'm okay now that I'm going to get my manual-powered flying car. You You were just turning into a little tyrant today. (laughs) Just imagining all the suffering you'll gleefully inflict in the future. This is the kind of thing that gives people not pilot licenses. Actually, that's that's. <laughs> I think I think that that showing the glee in other people's terror pilot's license. is what an FAA doctor would would say. <laughs> yeah, like you're not allowed to be to fair. Have Lauren, they do a background check where they talk Lauren, to all his friends. Lauren, <laughs> I'm really good at masking that glee when it comes down to it. <laughs> I've never seen you do that, but you are an actor. Yes, so. I can I can totally fake sincerity. It's the first thing they teach you. Okay, well the future is full of excellence and terror. <laughs> I think I think uh, flying cars. I think are are one of those things that if we see them. Uh, it'll be in a very limited capacity for the foreseeable future. And I, I think for the average consumer, I agree with you guys. It's gotta be automated. Oh, it has yeah. to be. There's... Because if it's not, then it's just, it's just, I, I can't imagine any Nightmare. company 
yeah, taking that on. That's a huge risk, right? I can't imagine any insurance company offering up insurance for that. Future without insurance. Yeah, but not in the way you're talking. (laughs) (laughs) We're we're talking where you can't get it because no one will (laughs) cover you. Okay. Not that it doesn't exist. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I think, uh, I think it'll be a while before we see this. Now, that doesn't mean that maybe Maybe in that magical 20 to 50 year time frame that we always talk about in the show, we finally start seeing them. It would be kind of cool. I mean, I think it would be a neat thing to see. Uh, and, and these autonomous cars, like we said, have been proven themselves to be really safe. So at least on a, on that level, I can imagine it. I just don't know what the timetable would be. Yeah. yeah. As far as I can tell, the deal with flying cars is there's not any magic element missing. It's just, like so many other problems, it's just a feasibility and economics problem. Like and legal, how, yeah, legal problem. How, how can you make this not cost a bajillion dollars right. and not, you know, super, super energy hungry and all those questions? Agreed. Yeah, I, I think that in a good couple centuries, we'll totally have them. <laughs> yeah, it's funny that it only took a little more than a decade for someone to first propose a flying car. And a century later, we're still waiting for one to to really take off all right guys so we're wrapping this up now uh you know you love the show you wouldn't be listening to the show unless you love the show so if you love the show you know what you would really love fwthinking.com because that's the website where we've got all the videos the podcasts like this one blog posts articles stuff where we go into a lot more detail on these subjects and we talk about stuff that we haven't even touched on in the podcast so if you're interested in the future go check that out and remember you can interact with us we are on lots of social media outlets including twitter facebook and google plus with the handle fwthinking so get in touch with us let us know what you think and we will talk to you again really soon For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.